The content of CPR Unplugged is designed for entertainment purposes only and is not intended as mental health treatment or medical or mental health advice. Details such as names and locations may have been changed to protect individual privacy. Hello and uh, welcome to CPR Unplugged, where we explore resources, best practices, and I think for me, the best part is an opportunity to have those who have struggled with different issues of behavioral health come on the air with us and share their experiences and lessons learned. My name is Tom McSherry, and uh, again, welcome for joining us. Today in the studio, we have a, actually a friend of mine, a gentleman that I've known a number of years. His name is Chris. Chris, thank you uh, so much for joining us on CPR Unplugged. Thank you very much, Tom. I'm, I'm glad to be here, and I'm excited that you gave me this opportunity to uh, talk a little bit about my uh, journey over the last several years. Great. So if you could give our audience just a, a brief synopsis of your, your background. My background is that I came to this state in about 1983. I got involved with an EMT program, found that I had a niche for it. Um, I got into a paramedic program within one year of the EMT program, and um, that was around 1984-85, became a paramedic, and um, at that time worked on an ambulance as a double medic. We were part of a rotation system here in the valley because there was not enough medics on all the engines yet and so forth, so we were used uh, to that effect. Right. And... Um, a few years after that, I got involved with uh, teaching paramedic programs and been a program director all the way up until this past year, um, teaching a lot of paramedic programs. Um, I got involved with the fire department around 1988-89 as a reserve and then was hired on to a uh, fire department with uh, supportive care it was actually uh, the city of Scottsdale, or not city of Scottsdale, but Real Metro, but they were in the city of Scottsdale at the time. And um, I was one of their first paramedics right. in the city um, at that period of time. And then uh, was with that fire department up until 2005 when they went municipality. Um, I was part of the crossover. And um, with that crossover, um, most of us came over at that period of time. It was a little stressful in our lives um, because it was a new administration structure and so forth. Uh, through 2005 to 2012, 2012, um, I actually retired from the fire department because I had some major issues in the past several years that took its toll not on my body but on my mind as well, and. I had to remove myself and I still do um, some teaching, but even that is hard for me to do. So that's why I dropped my program director position last year. All right. Well, first of all, that's decades of, of service. I know you started very young, obviously, right? Cause you're not that <laughs> old. So, <laughs> um, but um Truly, in all, in all seriousness, uh, thank you for for that service. You know, I want you to 
understand, and sometimes we in, in this line of work don't appreciate the impact that uh, someone such as yourself has had on literally thousands of individuals. Life-saving stuff. So thank you for all those years, Chris. Much appreciated, buddy. All right. So as uh, we kind of move forward here, Chris, I was just kind of curious, you know, when when you're a responder, um, you you do this because um, you enjoy it. There's a passion to it, right? You want to serve. Uh, you, you take the good and the bad. Uh, you find ways to cope with it, right? I think you would agree if, if right. every call bothered you, it's probably not, not the job fit, right? We put it in a box, it goes in Correct. our scrapbook and goes on the shelf, right? And we can do that for a long, yeah. long, long, long time. Um, and then all of a sudden, the, uh, the scrapbook starts to fall off the shelf more often and pages open and, and go from there. So I'm just curious, what was, what was the first tell? What was the first warning to you that maybe uh, this job was starting to have either a cumulative effect or there was a call that was really kind of sticking out? My, I think everyone's story is a little bit different. And my story, I was, I was an educator for a lot of the fire departments in our area. And I felt that I had a huge responsibility mm -hmm. to be that front person that everyone came to and saw in the field that always um, projected professionalism and knew our jobs extremely well. And that was that was a big part. Everyone that I've ever been with knew that they could always count on me. So I've that was a big issue for me to block out with what I would ever see or be involved with. In that process, I noticed um, the very first time that something really struck me was was a call that I had ran on. And um, I went through a debriefing and I've been part of the CISM process and one of the CISD um, a peer support group for a lot of different departments and so forth for their debriefings. This was the very first one that I was part of and um, I was very agitated and, and didn't like the way everything was being done. And I left, I left that debriefing very angry and um, I was very disturbed on how it was being done and what took place and so forth. And I felt like these guys were all looking at me like something had failed. And at that time, I thought I had failed with them because of the debriefing and so forth. When many years went by, I found out that that was my call that actually caused me. It was the call itself that created the problem. It wasn't the debriefing. It was me disassociating and trying to defer to something else. And that's the first time that ever that anyone had to take me back to the station, relieve me of duty and send me home for 24 hours until my brain settled down. And that was probably when I look back after everything I've ever done, that's probably the one thing that really set me off, but it became my, it created my um, pillar of, of the area of the, where I put all my stuff and my shelves and so forth, that became the pillar. 
And that area was blocked off and could not, I, I never thought about that call ever again until I had problems. Got it. Yeah. So there was first sign. Well, that's good. There was, there was a change and that's a very common thing, right? right? Where emotionally there's a disruption in our control of our emotions. And then, and then we get set off on things and we think it's as in, in your example, it was a debriefing, which before, and you've been a part of the team, you know, it's effectiveness, right? right? And thought it was that and, and, and other things going on when really at the core um, it was yes. this call and, and the way you uh, looked at that call and felt that there was some failure. Yes. Yeah. And that's, that's tough, right? Being, being action oriented, controlling folks, when we, we feel that we've failed in that, and then we're being judged by that, the shields come down pretty quick. Right. So great. So that was kind of the, the beginnings. And then how did your journey go from there? When, when you kind of recognized it, uh, what were some of the early kind of attempts or solutions that uh, that you you tried or were offered? I think that uh, for the next several years, and that was years, I started noticing that I was diving in more and more into my work and desocializing myself. I wasn't doing anything with other people. I wasn't interacting with my family. Things were agitating me more and more. But I felt like it was just like, okay, I'm just tired because I used work as my outlet. That was my safe zone because I taught a lot and I felt comfortable in that environment. And I could disassociate everything else from me and just do my practice. So I'm either at work doing my job or I'm at teaching and doing my job type of thing, which is the same thing in this particular case. Right. So it was is a replacement as long as you kept really active, right? You didn't have to think about the bad time. You could just continue in plugged Correct. in, so to yeah. speak, right? And moving forward. And and it was it wasn't a fix. It was it was just a temporary Correct. bandage. And um and then you know, at some point, bandages don't continue no. to work. So, and and then reality right. hits, right? So, when when reality finally, when when the coping mechanisms of staying active didn't work, what was the what was the outcome? And then what what did start the path uh, of healing? I thought, as time went on. So this was about 2000 and 2007 and 2011, 2012, I was having some major, I knew something was going on with me. I started realizing that my body was becoming more vulnerable to injuries and so forth. And that I was not as strong as before, but my mental capacity, I never I never paid attention to. As long as I could work, I was fine. I felt like I was good. Okay. And I use an analogy. I felt like a shark. Okay. I was on my, I was always on my game when I was at work or teaching. Okay. If I was out of there, I, I did not like my environment, um, which I would be in. 
And as a shark, I felt like if I didn't keep moving, I would die. And that's the feeling I have. I would drown. I would die. So I, everything I did, morning, afternoon, evening, night, was to keep doing something that was safe for me, and that was work. And that was my outlet. So I started pushing my family away, my wife away, kids away, I was, my uh, socializing with other firefighters and so forth. What I did notice was when things started really coming to a head for me, and once again, I didn't think this was any mental issue. I just felt I was so exhausted that I needed a, a break or something. But I found out that I was, I was running calls um, in the last couple of weeks before I realized that I had to come off the engine. I was running calls that I was running perfectly, muscle memory, and doing stuff. And when I got back to the station, the guys would ask me because we would debrief a little bit or talk about it, critique. I, I did not know the call they were talking about. I could not remember the call I'd just been on. Wow. And I was totally starting to disassociate certain things, certain calls, certain activities, and so forth. And in the last six months that I was in the department, we had multiple suicides that took place. And a lot of them were dealing with young adults. And then a couple of them were my own colleagues. And for some reason, yeah, for some reason, that all started with me being vulnerable with some of my ailments and so forth. It seemed like my mind was questioning Am I capable of doing what I'm supposed to be doing? Am I so fatigued that I'm not doing anything? And I'm not paying attention to anyone saying, hey, something's wrong with you. Because my wife knew something was wrong with me. Right. But I wasn't paying attention right. to that. I, here I am, Chris Burroughs, and I'm doing stuff for my departments and teaching and so forth. But I didn't recognize I had a problem. Matter of fact, I didn't think I could have a problem. I thought I was invincible from that aspect. <laughs> and I was um, suicidal um, at that period of time. And something changed that day. Uh, my shift was changed or something. And everything in my head fell like a stack of books, like my pillar just gave way. My whole control mm -hmm. was just released. And I'm sitting in the, I was sitting in the middle of the floor not knowing, I couldn't think. I could just, I knew my name and I knew, you know, my wife is telling me what's wrong with you. You better call somebody, something's wrong. And believe it or not, everything that I had learned and done and so forth, I mean, I mean, it took me 20, 30 minutes of just total collapse in my head. Um, I reached out to the one person at that period of time, and and you know where that led me. It it, it was your phone number that I called, and yeah. you're getting off a plane, and I told you what was going on, and, yeah. And that's where things kind of unraveled. But I was like, I was like, I'm so fatigued. My mind is so jumbled up, and there's nothing there. It's like looking at a room or or depth, and there's a fog there, and you can't see where your 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 doors are, your or who you're talking to, or even what you're saying, you say the phrase, 
and, and, and a minute later, you don't even know what you just talked about. Yeah, a lot of disorientation. Yeah, a major disorientation at that point. And then it was four months, three to four months of going through um, some major therapy and so forth. And I still did deny that I had a problem. I, I denied it. I went through um, outpatient and it was in outpatient for multiple days and, and kept, you know, in touch with my counselors and so forth. And then I think at the three or fourth month, I said, this is, I'm done with this. I'm going back to work. And um, they said, okay, you, you do what you need to do. And uh, I was never diagnosed or anything at this point. I was just told it was, I had major depression and um, I thought I was doing better. I thought I had my stuff together, my act together. I, I was fooling myself, basically. I'm good at that, I guess. I, I can fool myself. And um, I went back to my first shift and the tones went off and my mind went blank again. I was a, a jelly, jellyfish laying on the, or sitting in the corner of the um, bunk room um, where all the lockers are. And I couldn't, I couldn't function. Just, I was bawling my eyes out. Yeah. And then I realized that, okay, maybe I do have a problem. So I went through all that. It, we, you don't expect it. And it takes multiple people telling you over and over again, but if you don't listen to them, you just keep going on with what you think and you, you deny and you fool yourself that everything's okay. Right. Would, would you agree, Chris, that that's part of the challenge with our population of first responders, because we are, you know, slightly uh, obsessive, compulsive, controlling, action-oriented, risk-taking, thrill-seeking, instagratification, rescue personality. That's us. Yeah. Right. We are the help. We right. We we are the ones who answer the bell, uh, not the one who make the we're invincible call. Um, and we're invincible. Right. And this is and part of that is because yeah. there there is that satisfaction and that passion. Right. We we enjoy it. But then at some point, um, it's overloaded. Right. And as you said, it, it just came all crashing in, crashing down, and um, you were done. Yeah. You, you just smothered with all the, the calls of all those years. So first of all, it, it, I, it sounds like one of the things I think perhaps some of our folks in the audience could take away, re regardless of your first responder or not, is don't ignore the signs. Would you agree or what else would you say to these folks as far as that what to do after that first tell where you feel something's different? When you feel something's different or people are raising flags for you, you got to be open-minded and listen to what they're saying, especially the people that are very close to you. But that's still hard because you, you've, those are the people you don't want to show any, any chinks in your armor. And and we seem to double up our armor um, with them because we don't want them knowing that we think we're failing them or that we could possibly fail the yeah. system or so forth. And I think that was also my big thing with it. I think for all of us, it's not just our families too, but if, if we're looked upon um, as a major person in, in our jobs and our departments and so forth, we feel that everyone's looking to us for, for help answers and being that rock. And I think some of us 
I think all of us have those, those characteristics you just said, but I think some of us do extra or go some extra yards to maintain and help our own people learn what not what to do and what not to do. And we feel that um, to me, it came down to control. I felt like uh, if I said anything or did anything, it would be a loss of control. And everyone look, would look at me like you're, you're, you're a false figure. Everything you've done for the last 30 yeah. some years is, is a lie. And um, I think that that's a huge, that's a huge thing to overcome when you want to look or ask for help. And I think the biggest thing is, is I think the thing out there for a lot of people that think maybe something might be going on is to reach out to someone that might be going through it or look for some resources that allow you just to break the ice and talk a little bit about it and then start realizing Yes, you know, there's something there because we've done we've done some programs where we come in and educate the, the wife and husband, mm-hmm. and depending on who's on the fire department, and we talk about it and so forth, and then they look at each other, and you see, you know, you see someone that's rock solid and showing no emotion because that's what happens. Um, that's one of the biggest thing. My wife and all the people around me say I show no emotion. I don't show happiness. When there's something happy, or I show no uh, anger when when anger comes in because um, I can't do that. I'm not allowed to do that because I'm supposed to be the rock or the one that shows the ability to solve the issue. And then you get the the spouse looking at the person that's being stoic right there, and they're crying because they realize that this is what's wrong with you, but you don't see it yourself. And, and when they start looking around the room, they start realizing, okay, I'm not the only one here that's got this or has these thought processes because all the other spouses are saying the same thing about their other spouse that's in the departments and so forth. So with that being said, right, it is hard to reach out and say, hey, I got a problem and want to do something without being exposed to our own first responders that we work with on an everyday but I think one of the things out there that uh, I, that would help a lot of people is you got to reach out and find someone or some groups or something that you can just go in and say, you know, I, I just want to talk a little yeah. bit about this. You guys understand where I've been. How do you guys feel about this? I mean, this is what's happening to me. Do you guys mm-hmm. have some of the same issues? Because now they're talking to their own colleagues. Right. And, and, and that's an easier thing. Yeah. Yeah. That's the reason for the peer support right. program. Right. I think the other piece and, and you hit upon it is, is we, we, we have to have an environment, a culture that says this is not a weakness, right? Right. Having vulnerabilities and being vulnerable to uh, the stressors of this job uh, is not a weakness. It just is. It's a, it's a consequence to what we're exposed to. You know, you, you wouldn't accuse somebody of being weak because um, they keep getting hit with all this radiation and then and then suffer from radiation, to- you know, toxicity. Right. Um, it's just because they kept taking too many hits of radiation. Yeah. Right. And you have a limit. And and so I think the, the same thing. And, and I'm glad to see that the cultures are starting to change from a standpoint of um 
from suck it up buttercup. And, and we've got this, we've all got this. We're impervious. We're super beings, both male and female, uh, who take the, on these jobs uh, and see these uh, tragedies um, and realize that we're human too. And some days it just sucks. Yeah. Yeah. And it does, but everyone's got to look upon it and, and dig down inside them and take care of themselves. And you just got to say this too shall pass because everything that we do does take time and does take its path and so forth. And everyone is different in how they look or absorb what is being thrown at them. Um, and you're right. I think the culture is slowly changing. I think people are starting to um, reach out more and more. And the idea that I think is to put the resources out there for them to look for it without, I think they're starting to break through those, those barriers saying it's okay for me to go ask and find out about this, but there's still that stigma that they, they're still worried about doing it inside their own agency. So they're trying to find the outside sources. Mm -hmm. And, and you and I know that there are outside sure. sources that have been produced over the last five to 10 years that are really starting to take hold and help out a lot of people um, in those positions. But, but the, but people that um, are exposed to this, whether it's family members that are seeing it happen with their own members that are in the agencies, or it's the person themselves, if we're noticing that there's something taking place, you, someone's got to say, hey, let's stop for a second. Let's go find something or someone that we can talk with or talk to and find out what's going on with us and, and, and be open to the fact that we're all human. There's, uh, I've got, I got colleagues that say that they don't understand, you know, and they've been through the same things that I've been through. Literally they've seen and done everything, but they don't understand why my, my thought process changed. And they could tell, they said, you know, since this period of time, we know as changes has taken place in you and we can't figure it out. But you say it's because of this and so forth. And they were on those same calls. And some have changed and some haven't. And it's hard for those that have been around just as long as I have that say, I, I don't see it. Sure. But I also know that, that those people may still be saying, I, it can't happen to me. I'm, I'm rock solid. But yet, maybe it is happening to them. They, they may be in denial as well. So, right, right. And we have to appreciate, as you mentioned, everyone's different. Everyone's threshold is different. And again, that doesn't mean that one no. is stronger than the other or the other one is weaker. It's just because the individuality of calls, the hooks that could be there from personal identification to this is my sixth drowning versus this person's first one to that looks like my my child to that one looks like my mother. You know, all those little factors play into it. And um, we we must, if nothing else, I think, uh, appreciate the individual nature of of critical incidents. Right. right? Of even the cumulative yes. effect and 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 not judge, not judge. A uh, couple last questions here, Chris. Uh, so someone who has, again, got got going, they, they got into a program, they think they're making, uh, and they are making some advancement, but certainly sometimes people plateau or maybe do a little backsliding in their mm -hmm. journey, right? What would, you, what would words of uh, advice, encouragement would you give to those 
who may be listening who feel kind of uh, they're stuck a little bit, even after making progress? I think that all of us heal in different um, ways, different time frames. We can't control our timelines and what resources we come across. Certain resources are going to help mm-hmm. us. If you don't think the resource is helping you, then then change the resource and find another resource. But Good. we also think sometimes, and I think it's like anyone, if you're taking medicine and you think you're doing good, and then you stop taking the medicine, you lapse back into the same issues that you're having before. And right. doing some counseling and therapy and so forth, um, and there's different types that help people in different ways, and some work for some and, and maybe not for others. Um, you got to keep mm-hmm. looking for those resources. You can't stop. I'll be blunt and honest. I was one of those people that my, you know, my first, my therapy for the first three years, I did that. And then I plateaued and I, I, but for some reason with everything, I felt like I was total failure. I had no interaction with any of my colleagues. I didn't do anything outside of teaching. I didn't do nothing with my family. I wasted 10 years of my life isolating myself and not counting or talking to the people that love me the most or want to support me the most because my my right. my mind and brain just didn't see what was the use when I couldn't control what was going on with my head and I literally and I and and I didn't know I was doing this but I do know I was doing it at least now with retrospect that I didn't want to delve in to my container with the deepest issues that really bothered me the most. And I did that with one of my, with two of my counselors. I did that with two of my counselors where I just concentrated on other things that were symptoms and always guided the way they were treating me in order to get to the, I didn't want them to go to that, that deep, that deep place that I had locked up and didn't want to deal with anymore, but I was not healing. And after 10 years, I really did, you know, some things that were just collapsing around me and, you know, I lost, you know, homes and and a business and, and so forth. And, you know, really caused major disruption with my wife and so forth that the last two years, it's almost been like I've been resuscitated again. And, but it's been a very hard, rough year and a half, two years of resuscitation. And I'm still, I still don't know if I'll ever be that same person. All I could do is understand that, yeah, the past is the past. I got to understand why things in the past happen. And then once I, I mm-hmm. hit that, I move on and need to keep going forward and take care of myself and be happy with myself, which I'm not quite there yet but be happy with myself and where I'm at and then worry about, you know, the, the, the people that are supporting me and, and be, and be helpful right. to them. And it's like multiple people have said, if I can't take care of myself, I can't take care of them because I'm, it, I'm not right. on the same page with them. So. Right. That's excellent. I think advice and encouragement, I think it's comes to a point where the individual needs to accept the new normal. Yeah. This, this is the new normal, right? 
And, and that's part of resiliency is, is understanding that. There's a, a, a scripture that says, and it came to pass. And we have to understand that it came right. so it could pass. <laughs> and, and, it, and it is the past. So uh, the future, who knows what holds, we take it as it comes and not project because that brings right. its own stress. And, and we embrace what we have, what we can control. We're grateful and thankful for our support systems. And we keep uh, putting a step forward. Would you, would you agree with that? No, I totally agree with you that. I, you got to get past the past. You got to understand. And you got to look at the future. Timing's everything. We don't know why things happen. They happen for a reason. But we don't know what those reasons are until we get down the roads always. And, and everyone... Everyone heals or goes through these processes at their pace and different, but everyone does jump through the same hoops. It just depends on where you're at in your healing process. Well said. Well said. Everyone's different. Absolutely. Is there one final uh, takeaway that that you want uh, people to um, to have from today's uh, topic? My thing to you is find. Find resources that support you at the job that you're in, but also look for some resources that if you can't go to those supportive resources, you've got to reach out and talk about whatever's going on in your head and what's going on in your chest, your heart. And if you can't do that, that's where people get into trouble. They start sliding down that slope. It doesn't matter who it is. It matters whether you feel comfortable with them and th- you can talk to them and they will rebound with you what, what you're saying. And you can hear what you're saying to them and say to yourself, okay, I'm making progress here. I need to take the next little step and so forth. But you can't just sit in the corner and say, I don't have support. You got to go look for it. You got to find those pieces. So don't accept a crappy yeah. life. No, as a norm. Yeah, right. Uh, don't accept it. Uh, there's there's plenty of resources out there. That's one of the purposes for our podcast. We want to make sure people understand that they are not right. alone. Right. There's there's folks who have gone through uh, similar experiences. Are we all different? Do different things work for different people? Absolutely. Uh, but never stop trying. Um, you know the 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 Chinese have two symbols when it comes to the word crisis. Uh, one symbol stands for danger, which there certainly is, mm-hmm. and you've explored that in your decades of work, right? And the other is opportunity. And and both of those actually comprise the word danger. And so I think it's the perspective we must put on of, yeah, this, this hurts, this sucks, it's challenging, but what is the opportunity here? And And I think one thing that I picked up from your story, Chris, is don't isolate. Yeah, you can't do that. If you don't, then you're stuck in in time and you're going to waste your time away. You're going to waste your time away. And as you said, regret uh, that you didn't enjoy life for that period of time. Right. right? Well, Chris, thank you so much for coming on the show um, and, and sharing your journey, your story with us and being vulnerable that way. I think that also shows strength and courage. And that's what we all need. I just as as you have made difference in in numbers, thousands, I personally believe, pal, uh, 
in, in lives through those that you personally touched as a paramedic firefighter, those that you've, you've trained to do that touch and the thousands of lives they've, uh, they've made a difference in. Please remember that. Please remember that. You've, you've made a difference and you will continue to make a difference. All right? Yep. I thank you so much. You've made a difference too. <laughs> Well, thanks, pal. Well, again, thanks for showing up and uh, being a part of this podcast. For our uh, listeners, thank you for joining us. Uh, please uh, stay tuned. We have uh, other subjects and, and specialists that will be coming on these podcasts. It's our hope that uh, you will never give up. You will continue to fight the good fight and take advantage of the resources that can be made available to you. With that, we bid you good day. Got questions or ideas for the podcast? Or perhaps you have your own story to share. We'd love to hear from you. Email us at podcast at crisisprepandrecovery.com or call 602-281-7795. You can also find us online at cprpodcast.podbean.com or wherever you prefer to find your podcast. CPR Unplugged was produced by Crisis Preparation and Recovery, Inc., the intro and outro music was created by Rob Wilson. The CPR podcast team includes Tamara LaMontagne, Ben Edwards, Laura Kaufman, Rob Wilson, and Michael Magarinos. Special thanks to Jason Spisak for technical support. <laughs>